<laughs> Abortion, a woman's health care issue, or legalized baby homicide? After 46 years of legalized abortion in America, some states have made it illegal. Why? What's the truth about abortion in America? Let's have an emancipation conversation about it. Let's go. Welcome to the Emancipation Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, J.A. Villafane, a.k.a. Tony Smiles, for those who know. Welcome to the program, people. All right, all right. Welcome to the Emancipation Conversation Podcast. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is a white supremacy issue. I know a lot of people are going to get upset and have feelings and emotions about abortion, but we all know that most of the people that are arguing and debating, they're not getting an abortion. They're not even pregnant or have the ability to get pregnant. Now you ask, how is this a white supremacy issue? Well, In 2014, the U.S. Census came out and stated that the white, non-Hispanic population of Americans are declining. They're older, and then by 2045, they will be the minority in America. As soon as that news broke, they went into panic mode. The alt-right, the KKK, the neo-Nazis, the white nationalists, they freaked out. They all went into social media and started creating hate groups. They're worried about their numbers declining and them losing the majority and losing power in America. By 2016, these groups were huge. And the presidential candidacy of Donald J. Trump in 2016 only emboldened these groups. The mainstream media picked up on it and they continued to advertise the census report of 2014. By the end of 2016, after Donald J. Trump won the presidency, these groups were outraged. Here's a clip from The Hill in December of 2016 explaining how aging white population speeding diversity. A rapidly aging white population and fast-growing younger minority groups are speeding demographic changes across the nation, hastening a political divide likely to have long-term ramifications. The percentage of the U.S. population that is white has decreased from 79.6% in 1980 to 61.9% in 2014, whereas the percentage of Latino Americans has increased from 6.4% to 17.3% over the same period of time. And there is little chance that the decreases will reverse. Studies routinely find that once a natural decrease begins, it is unlikely to reverse itself. And more states are likely to join the list of white natural decrease in future years. Now during this time in 2016, an unemployed idiot by the name of Jason Kessler was spending a lot of time in these white supremacist social media groups. There was a movement at that time in America to remove a lot of the Confederate statues and Confederate flags around the country and on federal property. Jason Kessler, unemployed with nothing to do, 
saw this and thought it was a good idea for him to fight against the marginalization of white Americans by taking a stand on the removal of the statue of General Lee at Charlottesville, Virginia. He felt so emboldened about his stance on this issue that he had this interview with Katie Couric on August 11, 2017, 24 hours before the Charlottesville rally. The point of the rally is to, number one, protect this statue because this statue is one of many statues that are in honor of the history of Western civilization and European peoples that are being torn down. The policies that liberals have put in place, although they may have been put in place with good intentions, are effectively ethnically cleansing white people from the face of the earth. One of the ethnicities that's most in danger is the southern white people. I don't think that people should be treated unfairly because of their race or any other characteristic. I just feel like this country and its demographics should remain the same as they have been for the majority of their history. But there seems to be this problem with the social justice people where they have a distinct hatred for white people. Some might say they're, they're pushing for equality. No, I would not say that they're pushing for equal rights. I think that they have long since passed the point where they have uh, been going for anything uh, approximating equality. They're looking for special treatment for these groups. At this point, they want to have institutionalized discrimination against white people. They refuse to accept that there are genetic differences between different races of people. So there are reasons why, for instance, um, Asians, Jews, and white people are uh, people who have high test scores and are able to compete in a university environment. I do think that the country should be 80 to 85 percent white because that was the traditional demographic of the country. It was white people who founded this country and it is our uh, race which is in danger of being eradicated due to these immigration policies. Women's best role in life is to be mothers and to be wives. In your view, I shouldn't be working, I shouldn't be talking to you in this, no, I didn't in this say professional that. setting. No, I didn't say that people should be banned from having professions, but I think that culturally we should put an emphasis on uh, having uh, women as wives and mothers. Are you worried about violence erupting on Saturday? No. <laughs> I don't know about you, but all I'm hearing from unemployed Jason Kessler is fear. Fear of being eradicated from the face of the earth. Worst of all, this idiot forgot that he was part Jewish and the neo-Nazis in his group were not going to tolerate that, so they ousted him from the group shortly after this interview. However, they got their point across. They weren't there to save the General Lee statue. They could care less about General Lee. He was a traitor to the United States anyway. They were there out of fear. Fear because after 250 years of oppression to black and brown people in the United States of America, that now, by 2045, they will be on the receiving end of some type of oppression. They don't want that. They don't want to fear what they've been dishing out. Look at his key points. 
He wants the country to be 80 to 85% white. So the question is, how do you get there? Immigration policy is changing the demographics. So how do you get there? Women are not playing their so-called best role in life by being wives and mothers, being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. So guess what? They got Donald Trump to do their dirty work. Happily, Donald Trump obliged. Make America great again to get it back to 80 to 85% white population. What was his plan? Well, first he started with the Muslim ban, not allowing Muslims to travel to the U.S. His justification for that ban was, well, they're all terrorists. Muslims cannot come from those countries to the U.S. because they're all terrorists. Part two of that plan, immigration. Now, we can't deport legally all Americans that are non-white. So undocumented immigrants, they're the first to go. Call ICE up and we're going to knock down some doors and, because they're all MS-13. They're killers, they're rapists, and they're criminals coming across the border to rape our women and beat up our families. Similar to when Joe Biden was pushing the 1994 crime bill. Instead of cadre of predators, these are caravans of predators coming from the south. We need to build a wall. Next on that plan is to put the woman in their place, barefoot and pregnant in the home, to be wives and mothers. We have to cut out abortion at any cost, even in cases of rape and incest. Why is that okay? Because it will increase the declining white population. Now here's Donald Trump speaking about abortion during the 2016 debate against Hillary Clinton. And the justices that whoever ends up winning this election appoints could have a dramatic effect that there, and that's the issue of abortion. Right. Mr. Trump, you're pro-life, but I, I want to ask you specifically, do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion? Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. But I'm asking you specifically, would you if like to... If they overturned it, it'll go back to the states. But what I'm asking you, sir, is... Do you want to see the court overturned? You just said you want to see the court protect the Second Amendment. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, if we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be, ha that will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. I will say this, it will go back to the states, and the states will then make a determination. Now, if he was truly pro-life, if he doesn't want a child to be harmed or killed in America, why would he want the states to make that determination? Why wouldn't he want the Supreme Court with the judges that he appoints to make that determination that life is precious and that abortion is illegal across America? Why would he want it to go back to the states? He made it adamantly clear that he wanted it to go back to the states. Why is that important? Why is that important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. It's important because they're going to cherry pick. They're going to allow the states that are predominantly minority to allow abortion. So their numbers decline. That means New York, California, 
Chicago, abortion is going to stay in place. As a matter of fact, in 2019, New York passed a late-term abortion. That means a baby that can come out of the mother's womb and live in the incubator and, and move on with its life can be killed in New York State. However, in Alabama in 2019, even if the person or the woman is raped or has incest, there is no exception because it would lift up the white population. However, as stated in the Hill report, once the population starts declining, it's hard to climb out of that situation. Therefore, they have to come up with other policies to reduce the population of other races in America. One of those policies is to lock as many black people up, minorities, Asians, lock them up. Why is that important? Because once they come out, if they have a felony record, they cannot vote. They cannot vote allowing the white population in America to hold on to power through criminal justice policies. So far, 13 states have made abortion illegal or passed bills to make abortion illegal. Alabama being the most egregious, banning all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest. Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio, Georgia, Kentucky, Arkansas, Utah, Iowa, South Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, and Texas. All states with high concentrations of non-Hispanic white Americans. Now, New York, being a state with a high population of blacks and minorities, has just passed a law in January of 2019 that doctors can perform late-term abortions after 24 weeks of pregnancy. It's important to note that after 24 weeks of pregnancy, a lot of babies can live outside the womb in an incubator and grow up to be happy and productive people. This law plays right into the white supremacy's playbook of reducing the populations of blacks and minorities in order to get to their 80 to 85% white population. Vermont, Maine, and Nevada also passed bills protecting abortion. Whoa, 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 wait, hold up. What exactly is an abortion? The definition of an abortion is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy most often performed during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy. What the heck is that? What exactly is the 28th week of pregnancy? A pregnancy lasts nine months or 40 weeks or 280 days. A preterm or premature baby is delivered before 37 weeks of pregnancy. Extreme preterm infants are born 23 through 28 weeks. Moderately preterm infants are born between 29 and 33 weeks. Pregnancies can also be divided into trimesters. There are three within the nine-month period. The first trimester is the first three months of the pregnancy from the first week to the 12th week. The second trimester is from the 13th week to the end of the 26th week, which marks six months of pregnancy. The third trimester is from the 27th week to the end of the pregnancy, 
close to 40 weeks or at 40 weeks, which is nine months. The three trimesters of pregnancy are important because the United States Supreme Court dealt out the rights of the state and the individual using the three trimesters of pregnancy. In their 1973 decision of Roe versus Wade, allowing abortion to become legalized in America nationwide. But we'll get to Roe versus Wade a little later on. Abortions are also broken down into the three trimesters. A first trimester abortion is a surgical abortion, a suction DNC, where they use a vacuum to suck the fetus out. The second trimester abortion is called dilation and evacuation. After giving anesthesia, they dilate the cervix, use tongue-like pliers to rip the baby out limb by limb by limb by limb, then crushing the skull and then scraping the inside of the cervix clean. A third trimester abortion is an induction procedure, an injection and stillborn. This abortion typically lasts three days. First they inject the baby with a heart stopping medication. Then the mother walks around the next day to see if the baby has passed away. They do an ultrasound to see if the baby's still alive. If the baby's still alive, they inject the baby again with heart-stopping medication. By the third day, the baby is dead. Then the mother goes in after having severe contractions to give birth to a stillborn. If she cannot give birth to a stillborn, they have to rip the baby out piece by piece by piece by piece and then crushing the head, doing a DNE. But you don't have to take my word for it. Here's Dr. Anthony Levitino, obstetrician gynecologist who has conducted over 1,200 abortions. You can find him at www.abortionprocedures.com. Today I'm going to describe a first trimester surgical abortion called suction DNC, dilatation and curatage. This is the most frequently performed abortion and is used typically from 5 to 13 weeks of pregnancy. After administering anesthesia, the abortionist uses a speculum like this. This is placed inside the vagina and opened using this screw on the side, allowing the abortionist to see the cervix, the entrance to the uterus. The cervix acts as a gate that stays closed for the duration of pregnancy, protecting the baby until it is ready for birth. The abortionist uses a series of metal rods called dilators like these, which increase in thickness and inserts them into the cervix to dilate it gaining access to the inside of the uterus where the baby resides. The baby has a heartbeat, fingers, toes, arms, and legs, but its bones are still weak and fragile. The abortionist takes a suction catheter like this one. This is a 14 French suction catheter. It's clear plastic, about nine inches long, and it has a hole through the center. It is inserted through the cervix into the uterus. The suction machine is then turned on with a force 10 to 20 times more powerful than your household vacuum cleaner. The baby is rapidly torn apart by the force of the suction and squeezed through this tubing down into the suction machine, followed by the placenta. Though the uterus is mostly emptied at this point, one of the risks of a suction DNC is incomplete abortion. Essentially, pieces of the baby or placenta left behind. This can lead to infection or bleeding. In an attempt to prevent this, the abortionist uses a curette to scrape the lining of the uterus. The curette is basically a long-handled curved blade. Once the uterus is empty, the speculum is removed and the abortion is complete. 
The risks of suction DNC include perforation or laceration of the uterus or cervix, potentially damaging intestine, bladder, and nearby blood vessels, hemorrhage, infection, and in rare instances, even death. Future pregnancies are also at a greater risk for loss or premature delivery due to abortion-related trauma and injury to the cervix. Today I'm going to describe a second trimester surgical abortion called dilatation and evacuation, or DNE. A DNE is performed between 13 and 24 weeks of pregnancy. After administering anesthesia, the abortionist uses a weighted speculum, like this one, that opens the vagina widely. Because second trimester babies are so large, this greater access facilitates a late-term abortion. Late-term abortion requires that the cervix be prepared 24 to 48 hours in advance with laminaria. Laminaria is a type of sterilized seaweed that absorbs water over 8 to 12 hours and swells to several times its original diameter. Once removed, metal dilators can be used to further open the cervix as needed. Once the cervix has been stretched open, the suction tube is placed inside. A baby at 20 weeks gestation is as big as the length of my hand, from head to rump, not counting the legs. The suction machine is turned on, and pale yellow amniotic fluid surrounding the baby is suctioned out through the catheters. But babies this big, they don't fit through catheters this size. The baby's bones and skull are too strong to be torn apart by suction alone. This is a sofa clamp. A sofa clamp is made of stainless steel. It's about 13 inches long. The business end is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide, and there are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. The abortionist uses this clamp to grasp an arm or leg. Once he has a firm grip, the abortionist pulls hard in order to tear the limb from the baby's body. One by one, the rest of the limbs are removed, along with the intestines, the spine, and the heart and lungs. Usually the most difficult part of the procedure is extracting the baby's head, which is about the size of a large plum at 20 weeks. The head is grasped and crushed. The abortionist knows he has crushed the skull when a white substance comes out of the cervix. This was the baby's brains. The abortionist then removes skull pieces. He removes the placenta and any leftover parts of the baby with a curette, scraping the lining of the uterus for any remaining tissue. The abortionist then collects the baby parts and reassembles them to make sure that there are two arms, two legs, and all the pieces. Once all the parts have been accounted for, the abortion is complete. For the woman, this procedure carries a significant risk of major complications, including perforation or laceration of the uterus or cervix with possible damage to the bowel, bladder, and other maternal organs. Infection and hemorrhage can also occur, which can even lead to death. Future pregnancies are also at greater risk for loss or premature delivery due to abortion-related trauma and injury to the cervix. Today I'm going to describe a third trimester induced abortion, which is performed at 25 weeks to term. At this point, the baby is almost fully developed and viable, meaning he or she could survive outside the womb if the mother were to go into labor prematurely. Because the baby is so large and developed, this procedure takes three or four days to complete. On day one, the abortionist uses a large needle to inject a drug called digoxin. Digoxin is generally used to treat heart problems but a high enough dosage of digoxin will cause fatal cardiac arrest. 
The abortionist inserts the needle with the dejection through the woman's abdomen or through her vagina and into the baby, targeting either the head, torso, or heart. The baby will feel it. Babies at this stage feel pain. When the needle pierces the baby's body and the digoxin takes effect, the life of the baby will end. The abortionist then inserts multiple sticks of seaweed called laminaria into the woman's cervix. They will slowly open up the cervix for delivery of a stillborn baby. While the woman waits for the laminaria to dilate her cervix, she carries her dead baby inside of her for two to three days. On day two, the abortionist replaces the laminaria and may perform a second ultrasound to ensure the baby is dead. If the child is still alive, he administers another lethal dose of digoxin. The woman then goes back to where she is staying while her cervix continues to dilate. If she goes into labor and is unable to make it to the clinic in time, she will give birth at home or in a hotel. In this case, she may be advised to deliver her baby into a bathroom toilet. The abortionist then comes to remove the baby and clean up. If she can make it to the clinic, she will do so during her severest contractions and deliver her dead son or daughter. If the baby does not come out whole, then the procedure becomes a DNE, a dilation and evacuation, and the abortionist uses clamps and forceps to dismember the baby piece by piece. Once the placenta and all the body parts have been removed, the abortion is complete. Late-term abortions have a high risk of hemorrhage, lacerations, and uterine perforations, as well as a risk of maternal death. Future pregnancies are also at a greater risk for loss or premature delivery due to abortion-related trauma and injury to the cervix. Now that we know the three trimesters of pregnancy, we can go back and look at Roe versus Wade, the decision that made abortion legal in America in 1974. Now, the Supreme Court broke down the three trimesters of pregnancy like this. Approximately in the first trimester, a woman's privacy interest is paramount and outweighs competing state interests. State interest is important because it links everything together. Approximately in the second trimester, the state interest in protecting women's health from potential dangers begins to grow and can justify increasing regulations. Approximately in the third trimester, the state interest in the potential human life is compelling enough to support an outright abortion ban. So basically, states cannot regulate abortion in the first trimester. That's in the first 12 weeks or the first three months of pregnancy. That in the first trimester, a woman's right to privacy protected under the 14th Amendment superseded the state's interest. In the majority decision, Justice Henry Blackham wrote, quote, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal rights protection of the law. This is the direct quote from the 14th Amendment, Section 1. At the time of litigation, Jane Roe was too far along in her pregnancy to even get an abortion based off the decision of Roe v. Wade. But who is this Jane Roe? Typical of a healthy woman seeking an abortion, 
Jane Rowe, whose real name was Norma McCormie, was already an unfit mother of two in 1969. Her first child was taken away by her mother when she developed a drinking and drug habit and went on a trip and abandoned her child with her mother. Her second child was given up for adoption after pregnancy. And in 1969, at the age of 21, she was pregnant again with the third child and was seeking an abortion. Now in Texas at the time, abortion was only legal when the mother's health was in danger. McCormie was not that type of mother. She tried to get an abortion at an illegal clinic that got shut down by the police. Norma McCormie was then referred to attorneys Linda Coffey and Sarah Wellington, two attorneys that were looking to challenge the abortion law in Texas in 1969. They lost all their cases in appeal in Texas, so they took it to the Supreme Court in 1971. The case was argued again in 1972 and then ultimately decided in January 22nd of 1973. Henry Wade was the district attorney of Dallas, Texas in 1969. He was enforcing the abortion law in that state and Linda Coffey and Sarah Wellington sued him in this case. Norma McCormie, aka Jane Rowe, later on identified as a lesbian and then stated and I quote, I am dedicated to spending the rest of my life undoing the law that bears my name, end quote. Norma McCormie, a.k.a. Jane Rowe, died of heart failure in Katy, Texas on February 18, 2017, at the age of 69. She was a pro-life advocate. But that wasn't the end of it. In 1992, the U.S. Supreme Court revisited abortion. In the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Robert Casey was the governor of Pennsylvania and a group of healthcare providers in the Planned Parenthood organization sued him because state law required certain provisions prior to conducting an abortion. In the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act of 1982, women must give informed consent. Women must receive state-published information. For minors, a parent must give informed consent. Married women must notify their husbands. Providers must keep records and report information. In a split decision in 1992, the U.S. Supreme Court came down with a decision that state could not cause an undue burden on a woman seeking an abortion due in part to the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And Justice Anthony Scalia, at the time, wrote an opinion that was not challenged by any other justice. His opinion was that abortion is not a constitutional right, that there is no text in the Constitution that mentions abortion. In 2012, Anthony Scalia spoke to Piers Morgan on CNN and said this, my view is, regardless of whether you think prohibiting abortion is good or whether you think prohibiting abortion is bad, regardless of how you come out on that, my only point is the Constitution does not say anything about it. It leaves it up to democratic choice. Some states prohibited it, some states didn't. What Roe versus Wade, Wade said was that uh, no state 
can prohibit it. That is simply not in the Constitution. It was one of those many things, most things in the world, left to democratic choice. That leaves it open for states to challenge Roe v. Wade again. Abortion seems to be an opinion by whoever is on the Supreme Court at the time that they choose to see any case pertaining to abortion. It is coming down to, do states have the right to dictate to their citizens in their state what they should do or not do with certain things, medically or otherwise? Historically speaking, the states have always made the wrong decisions when it comes to their citizens. That's the reason why people always turn to the Supreme Court. If the U.S. president is looking for the states to take over abortion, as he stated in the 2016 debate with Hillary Clinton, and if President Trump gets reelected in 2020, then he will have the deciding vote to put on the Supreme Court. It is my humble opinion that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on her last legs on the Supreme Court. She may have a few more years to go, maybe just after the 2020 election. If President Donald Trump stays in office, he will appoint another conservative to the court, giving this court a majority conservative decision, making power. This will give the white supremacy their victory and sending back abortion back to the states. And again, the abortion laws will change in those predominantly white states. However, the states that are predominantly black, they're going to reinforce the abortion laws and keep them the same with an attempt to raise the white population. Which brings us back full circle to white supremacy and the declining numbers of white Americans and their desperate attempts to raise their population numbers by changing policy, creating new laws, eliminating immigration, rigging the U.S. Census so the numbers are skewed. And with these skewed numbers, they can set up new districts and take away or add new seats to their favor in the House and Senate, forcing women to conceive with no exception for rape or incest, and the unjust acts of arresting blacks and minorities and drones in order to keep their population high. It brings us back to Charlottesville and you could hear these kids talking. You got an 18 year old talking to Katie Couric and he's telling her how he should see America as a sole white nation. Would you consider yourself a neo-Nazi? Uh, I would not. I would consider myself a white nationalist and I would consider myself a member of the alt-right. And what does that mean to you? White nationalist, I want a homeland for white people and I think every race should have a homeland for their own race. So do you agree that uh, with the guy who organizes, organizes Jason Kessler that America should be 80 to 85% white? Yes. And, and why? I think uh, there's a demographic decline going on, not only here, but in Europe, and we need some place that can be a white homeland, or we will be spread out. And how old are you? 18. Do your parents agree with you? No, not at all. My mother is a union teacher, and my father is a blue-collar worker. No, they don't agree with me at all. How do they feel about your being here? My mom and my father both heavily discouraged it. I think all of our parents did, actually. 
uh, following your parents' beliefs just because they're older than you and they raised you, it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's not a good idea. You should believe for yourself. You should look into things for yourself and then decide what you want. Where did my family come from? Um, both grandparents on my side of media, grandparents are Italian immigrants. The irony is not lost on me that second generation and third generation immigrants are now obstructionists. President Trump's family is German descent. His father grew up in the Bronx, yes, and he grew up in New York, but his grandfather was German, and they all migrated here. Now, two generations later, they're not allowing others to live the American dream. The truth about abortion in America, it's not a right to life issue. It's a right to be white issue. I would say this is less, a little less about hate and more about fear. Fear of losing control, fear of losing your white privilege, fear of being attacked and being ridiculed for the stuff that was done before. All of the oppression, all of the injustices, everything that's been going on for the last 200 years that whites have gotten away with. Ellie Reeves, Vice News, HBO, interviewed Christopher Cantwell, a white nationalist, Unite the Right speaker, at that rally in 2017. And this is what he had to say as a seemingly uneducated white male. When did you get into, as you said, the racial stuff? When uh, Trayvon Martin case happened, you know, Michael Brown and, and Tamir Rice and all these different things happened, every single case, it's some little black asshole behaving like a savage, and he gets himself in trouble, shockingly enough. Whatever, whatever, whatever problems I might have uh, with uh, my fellow white people, uh, they generally are not inclined to such behavior, and, you know, you got to kind of take that into consideration when you're, when you're thinking about how to organize your society. In Oklahoma City. Okay, so exactly. You have to go back to Oklahoma City to talk about a white act of terrorism. Oh, Roger right. Dylan Roof. Okay, so so now you've managed to name three people, and I'm pretty sure Elliot Roger wasn't explicitly white, by the way. But the thing is, you remember the names of white bombers and mass shooters, okay? Yeah. Can you tell me the name of all 19 hijackers on 9/11 off the top of your head? You can remember Dylan Roof's name. You we can remember to make white thing. people were capable of violence. I didn't say capable. Of course we're capable. I'm carrying a pistol. I go to the gym all the time. I'm trying to make myself more capable of violence. I'm I'm here to spread ideas, talk, in the hopes that somebody more capable uh, will, will come along and do that. Somebody like Donald Trump, who does not give his daughter to a Jew. <laughs> so Donald Trump, but like, more racist. And a lot more racist than Donald Trump. I don't think that you could feel about race the way I do and watch that Kushner bastard walk around with that beautiful girl, okay? Can you talk a little bit about the right adopting the politics or the political style of the left? We don't have the camaraderie, we don't have the trust level that our rivals do. And that camaraderie and trust is built up through activism, and that is one of the tactics that we're adopting. All right, so I came pretty well prepared for this thing today. Caltech P3AT, 380ACP, Glock 19, 9mm. Ruger LC9, also 9mm. And, uh, oh, and there's a knife. Well, I actually have another AK in that bag over there. Um, you get loose track of your fucking guns, huh? I'd say it was worth it. We knew that we were going to meet a lot of resistance. 
the fact that nobody on our side died, I, I'd go ahead and call that uh, points for us. The fact that none of our people killed anybody unjustly, I think, is a plus for us. Um, and I think that we showed, uh, we showed our rivals that we won't be cowed. But the car that struck a protester, that's un unprovoked. That's not true, and you know that it's not true. You've seen the video. So. You've seen a video. I, yeah. I don't know much about it. Oh, I, I, the, I understand. Can that we describe what the video well, appears uh, to show? Okay. So the video appears to show someone striking that vehicle when these animals attacked him again, and he saw no way to get away from them except to hit the gas. Uh, and sadly, because our rivals are a bunch of stupid animals who don't pay attention, uh, they couldn't just get out of the way of his car, and some and some people got hurt, and that's unfortunate. So you think it was justified? I think it was more than justified. I, I, I can't believe the amount of restraint that our people showed out there, I think, was astounding. What do you think this means for the next alt-right protest? I say it's going to be really tough to top, but we're up to the challenge. Wait, why? Why? Tough to top? I mean, someone died. I think that a lot more people are going to die before we're done here, frankly. Why? Why? Because people die every day, right? I mean, do you... Not do you... like a heart attack, I mean violent death. Well, people die violent deaths all the time, right? Like, this is part of the reason that we want an ethno state, right? So, like, the, the blacks are killing each other in staggering numbers from coast to coast. We don't really want to have a part of that anymore. And so, the fact that they resist us when we say, hey, we want a homeland, is not shocking to me, all right? These, these people want violence, and the right is just meeting market demand. The battle lines are now drawn. Here is Good Morning America, May 2019. My body, my choice! With states across the country passing new restrictions on abortion, President Trump is now wading into the debate, suggesting some laws may be going too far. Tweeting this weekend, I am strongly pro-life, with the three exceptions, rape, incest, and protecting the life of the mother adding we must stick together and win for life in 2020. But in Missouri, People die when politicians lie. Where protesters flooded the state capitol this weekend, the governor now stands ready to sign a bill banning abortions after eight weeks that does not include exceptions for rape or incest. I've been pretty clear where I've been from day one on, on right to life. I think always, always it's the most important to protect women's health and advocate for the unborn. And in Alabama, where the governor just signed a near total ban on all abortion, the only exception is if the mother's life is in danger. The abortion debate now front and center on the campaign trail, too. I hope America's women are paying attention because President Trump has started a war on America's women. And if it's a fight he wants to have, it's a fight he's going to have. President Trump, if a bill came to your desk that would defund Planned Parenthood, you would support that? You would sign that? Yes, because as long as they do the abortion, I am not for funding Planned Parenthood. Even but they, they do, do other, they do cervical cancer work. They do a lot of good things for women. Should the woman be punished for having an abortion? Uh, look. Uh, this I, is not something you can dodge. It's a, if no, you no, say it's, it's abortion not, is a not, crime or abortion is murder, you have to deal with it under the law. Should abortion be punished? Well, people in certain parts of the Republican Party and conservative Republicans would say yes, they should be punished. How about you? Uh, I would say that it's a very serious problem, and it's a problem that we have to decide on. Uh, is it's very? But I you're mean, for banning you it. Say, well, wait. Are you going to say put them in jail? Are you, is that? Well, the no. What I'm asking you, about? because you say you want to ban it. What's I, that I mean? Would, I I am against, I am pro-life, yes. What is ban, how do you ban abortion? How do you actually do it? Well, you know, you'll go back to a, a position like they had where people will perhaps 
go to illegal places. Yeah. But you have to ban it. I'm you ban it, and they go to somebody who, who flunked out of medical school. Are you, do you believe, no, in, but, but you're, do you believe you're, in punishment for abortion? Yes or no? Is a principle. Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. Ten no, cents, ten years. I don't what? know. That I don't know. That well, why I don't not? Know. I don't you know. You take positions and everything else. I frankly, I do take positions and everything else. It's a very complicated position. Thank you for tuning in to the Emancipation Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, J.A. Vifanye, a.k.a. Tony Smiles, for those who know. You can follow me on social media at the number 4 Tony Smiles on Instagram and Twitter. For more information on the U.S. Census, you can go to www.census.gov. For Supreme Court cases, you can go to www.supremecourt.gov. For abortion procedures, you can go to www.abortionprocedures.com. And for more information, you can go to www.cspan.org, wikipedia.org, and constitutionus.com. Until next time, be safe, feel love, share smiles. I'm out. This has been a Jab Entertainment production. Thank you.